Hello. Hi, John. Oh, hello, Merlin. Oh, oh, is this a good time? Oh, oh, hi. Oh, hi. How's it going? Oh, hey. Hey, good hmm. to hear from you. Oh, it's nice to stop by. I like to stick my head over the fence every once in a while and just, you know, check in. I know you do. You're a good neighbor. I, and I thank you for picking up our mail while we were gone. Oh, it's my pleasure. I sifted through a lot of it. Mm. Uh, I sorted a lot of it for you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, we sort our mail a different way, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you know, I think organization, you can find it at any price. And, and when a friend is there and like goes through your house and tries on some of your clothes and, and then does mm-hmm. kind of a fancy German dance in them, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a way of uh, long distance bonding. Speaking of fancy German dances, today was the big Apple announcement. Did did they, um, I know you have a lot of other Apple podcasts like I do. Mac, mm-hmm. MacBook Weekly and MacTalk.org. <laughs> MacBook <laughs> Weekly. I, yeah. You know what? That's pretty good. I'm going to use that. Yeah, that I do a have good a lot. Show. I got to feed that beast, baby. I got to get I that, know. jam that, that Macintosh content down their gullets. I know, but so, but so I don't want you to burn any of that, that top, top content on this show. Yeah. But uh, just briefly, did they, did they do it? Did they, did they solve the problem? Did they give you the thing that, Oh yeah. I mean, did, is the, is the new thing going to be the thing that, that makes it all worthwhile? You know, I don't even, I don't have anything uh, particularly funny to say about this. They are uh, releasing a MacBook pro that takes care. Yeah. Um, it's really good and it fixes a lot of the shit that's been driving people crazy about, uh, a lot of Apple's laptops for a while. It's been a little bit of a, drag to get there but they they basically every nerd's wish list was was granted oh wow every nerd well i mean one does not speak of <laughs> in that particular no there's always there's going to be a amongst the murder of nerds there's mm-hmm. going to be somebody who's not happy but got rid of the touch bar which nobody liked oh got wait, rid- nobody liked me it brought back magsafe for the power which is nice it's crazy fast it's got a great chip it's got a beautiful screen. Uh, what are the other things? Just a whole bunch of stuff. It's uh, it's a uh, you know, a Merlin Man. What, what, what is my other podcast again? MacBook Weekly. Yeah, MacBook Weekly. Merlin Man, you know, longtime co-host of MacBook Weekly, says uh, two enthusiastic thumbs up. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting! I can't wait to consume this new Macintosh product. Yeah, they just keep putting stuff out, don't they? Yeah, they do. And I've got a lot of problems that I need solved. And it always seems like the new technology is going to be the thing that's going to rush in there Mm -hmm. and make it easier. Yeah. Do you want to put me on that? Do you want to get me on your tech and get me, Mm. get me Mm -hmm. working? I'll Mm -hmm. come in. We'll do some screen sharing. I could come in, do a webinar with you. Would that be helpful? That would be so, so helpful. Thank you. And I've also wanted to change all my light bulbs to ones that I could control from from my phone. Well, see, Matt Uh, Howie tried that and look what happened to him. (laughs) We can... We can talk about that later. I yeah. saw I saw Matt Howie sighting uh, out in the wild. I was uh, down in Portland, and somebody said, "Oh, I have m- my wife has a friend in common." And I was like, "Oh yeah, who's that?" Well, I think her her my wife's wife has does a thing with with the wife of uh, of somebody whose wife is friends with Matt Howie's wife. And I was like, "What?" That's no a very way. strange exchange, John. What are the chances? Were, so, were you as confused by that as I was? No, you know, when, okay. you know, when you've known Matt Howe as long as I have, you know oh. he's going to come, you know. I feel he's like it's around. He's like, a, as they say, like a bad penny. It's always you know, turning up. You, you're going to be somewhere and the manhole cover is going to go up a little bit and there he's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> peeping out. He's gonna, psst, 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 hey, hey, try it. I had a, I had <laughs> try a this gentleman. this USB-C cable. 
I had a gentleman's phone call with Matt Howie just last week. Oh, well, nice. Yeah, we must have talked about you. Well, speaking of uh, speaking speaking of uh, me picking up your mail, I figured at this point you would be well. Let me see if I can pull out some of my GRE words. <laughs> dead or in jail? I, dead or in jail? Uh, I was going to try and work in atavism. Uh, feral. I, I I last time that we talked a while back, you were fixing to go on a journey, and that's why I was picking up your mail in a couple states away. But are are you back from the, from your atavistic feral journey? Yeah. So so um, I mean, you don't have to talk about it. We can cut all this out. It's my show. I know. I know. I, I I'll just uh, you know I'll I'll lay it out for you, and if you think it's worth it, if you think it's a good show, then we can put it on. I, I honestly don't care. I I will I will talk. <laughs> I no. I will talk about. I will talk about uh, anything. You're in it. You seem like you're in a good mood. Let me okay. Mm. Let me put my cards on the table. Here they are. Okay. Throw my on. cards on the table are these. Uh, it you sound like you're in good spirits, and you don't sound like you're in an emergency room or inpatient facility. <laughs> good. I did so look. So I'm going to call win and win on yeah, whatever Just this happened. morning, I looked at a bruise on my leg and I was like, wow, the injury was on the other side of my thigh. And for the bruise to have gone all the way through and come out on that side of my thigh. That's, that's one, that's one magic bruise. That bruise, it hit so hard. Yeah, back the, into the left. The bruising blood just yeah. kept going. Yeah. It was yeah. easier to get to the other side of the leg. You want to watch was. for that blood lividity pattern. If, if I learned anything mm -hmm. from watching a lot of crime shows, I, and also you can sometimes tell, well, too soon, you know, choking causes what they call particular hemorrhaging. So how are your oh. eyes? Are your eyes all right? Have you been choked so far, in a way you didn't my, want? So far, my eyes are okay. Uh, you know, choking is one of those things that, you know, you, you really need double, triple consent. Oh, I'm not here to choke shame. Yeah. No. Uh, but in this uh, case, but that's I my am... cards on the table. You sound good. Like, however, it went. Also, you know, my my daughter was ice skating the other day, and she ate it really hard. Out, and uh, she she may have a matching bruise. You guys should do, should text each other. Yeah, I hit I hit it hard. I don't mm, I don't I'm not sure your daughter and I are quite yet in the like share bruises text thread. I've okay. got a few, I've got a few that people that I share media, bruises John? with. Does that if you if you exchange butt photos with my daughter, does that mm. count as social media? Are we are we bound by the the COPPA uh, rules of of the late nineties, the the Digital Millennium Copyright Act? Mm. If, if I gave you implied permission to text butts to my daughter <laughs> where would that put you i mean is it a it, uh, here's a question is it a two-party consent state if you know what for, i mean yes i do and for me right Don't now her, though i mean no, you know no 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 uh but for me right now trying to figure out what social media is Ooh. what constitutes it now in what this day and age it? Because, in this economy? You know, you, yeah, you turn left, you turn right. Some so, Somebody on the motorcycle trip, well, you know, they're all very avid social media posters, or at least a, a couple of them have uh, Instagram accounts where they're, you know, they're they're uh, riding motorcycles over fallen logs and they're, you know, they're balancing like a, a hand-thrown uh, pizza uh -huh. on top of their nose. Is that going while to TikTok, they, John? Where are they putting that? I, I'm, she, no, I think it's Instagram still because Instagram, there's, a, nice. there's a little bit of a, there's an age peel off there where, where TikTok, I don't think made the corner. That's a little motorcycle reference there. The, the TikTok didn't Ooh. make the corner off into the bushes. Ooh, I like that. You're picking up jargon. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but that's, but so I'm I appearing I'm going to write that other, down. I'm writing yeah. this down. I'm writing down social right. media. So I appeared in some other people's social media accounts this week. 
And then the people on their social media accounts were commenting, oh, look, it's John Roderick. He is an adventure motorcyclist. Who knew? So it's not even social media, they say. It's not people that were on social media. They're not following these motorcycle guys because of me. Know what I'm saying? They're on there for motorcycles. And then they're like, hey, wait a minute. No way. And so a whole social media thing is happening (laughs) (laughs) involving me. And I'm not even on social media, but am I? I am. You are technically. But how? But how much? But where? Did they have my consent? Implicitly. Mm-hmm. Implicitly when I did not sign the non-existent agreement. Mm-hmm. It's it's fine though. I, I, I like I like that there are still people in the world that, that I don't see with my own eyes. <sighs> not that much I don't. You know, but, I, 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 I might be talking out of school here. I think I'm, I'm not because this was in a, a private but, but open Slack channel. I think I need to get this right because it's almost as confusing as your Matt Howard's friend of a wife story. But I think somebody Matt knows also knows Motorcycle Boy. Do you know I, about this? I bet that's true. Go on. Well, I mean, we, it's not really going to propel the story forward, except to say I got a nice note from friend of the show, Matt Howie. He was stuck outside waiting for his garage door to open. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, uh, he says to me, he says that uh, apparently there's, there's, there's a connection here somewhere. I'll go look it up. I don't read things very carefully. But anyway, it's another Matt. You know what it is? The sewer lid popped up. The manhole cover, as you say. There he was. Boop, boop. And there he is. He was like, I've got, you know, I'm taking the golden van. I'm giving it to Stan. We're going to put it in the van. Ooh. <clears throat> Ooh. Oh, so oh. you, um, so what we, so you have a friend, uh, well, so, so, motorcycle so, boy. So let me tell you. So there are several motorcycle fellows. And, um, and they all have, they all have different, uh, online handles. They all have different skill sets. They're all different, uh, you know, actually different people. If you, okay. if you, if you were walking down the aisle in a supermarket and you saw one and then you saw another, you would differentiate them. Okay. You'd say, hmm, that guy's got a mustache. This guy doesn't. Huh. Huh. Uh, but so we, we're, so the, the plan of this motorcycle trip, this is now the third week long backcountry motorcycle adventure to the wilds of Oregon that I have taken in the last five years. And all of them, all of them sort of initially spearheaded by friend of the show, Ben King, architect Ben King from Portland, Oregon. All of them uh, largely hosted by motorcycle impresario, Gregor Holenda, who is a famous one. That's motorcycle boy. Yeah. 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 He is a famous internet celebrity in his own right, because he, uh, because he makes the, Fancy motorcycle gigaws, um, and uh, you know, and does various uh, internet. He's a, you know, his wife is an internet taste maker in the Portland food scene. He's oh a, you know, that he's seems a, like a kind of a big deal. He, it's a, it's you know, it's all a big deal. The whole thing, every single bit of this, Merlin, is a big deal. It's a big operation. Is it Gregor? Hol- no, not Gregor Holenda. What's this guy's name? Holenda, Gregor Holenda. Oh, I think I'm looking at his internet website. There it is. It's probably right there. It's got motorcycles on it. Um, it does. From what I can tell, though, it is not by Squarespace. Oh, wait a minute. Uh-oh. Um, <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash Friends. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and to run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online 
And to make your ideas a reality, Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with one of their beautiful, professionally designed templates, and you use simple drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile, so they look great on every device and dingus straight out of the box. You also get free, unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There is nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And they, of course, have their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. And they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you'll have everything you need for uh, search engine optimization and email marketing to get your ideas out there. And, and you know, what are you going to do with Squarespace? Well, the short answer is you do whatever you damn well please. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into your new website. You can showcase your work, their incredible portfolio designs, publish your next blog post, promote your business, announce an upcoming event. Woof! There's so much that you can uh, do with Squarespace. And you know, you're using Squarespace right now. So, like, why don't you go get your own? Well, and why do I say that? Am I taking crazy pills? I am not. I'm just a big fan of Squarespace. And you're using them now because that is where the Roderick on the Line podcast has always been hosted, right on squarespace.com. It's also where I put my uh, admittedly sort of under-updated personal sites. But I find it a joy to use. I look forward to using it uh, every Monday to get this program to you. And it, it makes me really happy. Uh, they've been good to me uh, with their website stuff and with their support of... Uh, independent content creators. So, you know, I appreciate them all around. So do me a favor right now, head to squarespace.com slash supertrain and get yourself a free trial. There is no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch your beautiful new site, use our offer code supertrain. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash supertrain. And when you sign up, use that very special offer code supertrain because that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. So, uh, anyway, uh, wow, he said he takes photographs. He does. Oh, he, oh, oh, this, this is, is the other thing. Drink. This is the other thing. They are, um, they are all professional photographers. Oh, uh, uh huh. Wow. And so they're also always documenting. Not just they're documenting it in a. Um, in a in a kind of social media way, but they're also documenting it in an old school way, like like photographer way. Like we're photographers. Yeah, we're not these just... are these are really these are good photographs, like taken by a good person with a good camera who knows how to do good good uh, editing. See, and I think uh -huh. what what separates a lot of what they do is that they do um, they do good pictures. So you've got the. You've uh -huh. got the the thing. It's like, oh, we did a thing, and it's crazy. Look at us jump a stump or whatever. We're balancing a pizza on our nose. Stump jump. But then they have good pictures of it. Uh -huh. and you go, oh wow. Okay. You know, I, okay. I don't like to use this okay. word too much, but it strikes me that 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 is synergy. That is mm. some synergy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is, and 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 they play. They they know about the synergy. They play on it, and these guys are not playing. He also but, makes YouTube videos. Look at that. And he's, he's a machinist. He's got a machine shop. So he's got oh. a whole world of fans on the internet who are primarily fans of his, his shop. So they, oh. so he's on there solving problems. This is the thing about guys with a shop. They're solving problems. That's Adam Savage has gotten a lot of mileage out of, out of those, having those robots and stuff. And we, um, 
we talked a lot about Adam Savage on this trip because a lot because a lot of the people on the trip are admirers of him and his uh, ability to solve problems with machines. Mm-hmm. But you know, they've got he's got a lathe, he's got another lathe, he's got a third lathe. That's he's, a lot of lathes. He's got so many lathes, hmm. and uh, and so he's got fans who are like, I love his machine shop videos. I love his. I mean, uh, my daughter and I sat and. I watched him just lathing some stuff and it got her excited about lathes. So we spent a whole afternoon just watching videos of different kinds of lathes, like wood lathes, metal lathes. You got lathes mm-hmm. that are lathing plastic. Can you imagine even? trying to lathe. I mean, I'm sure lathes have in some form. And this is the thing, like, let's say you want to make a chess piece. You, you yeah. use a lathe, well, they're accepting the top of the bishop. Hmm. You would be, if you want to make you a pawn, that's what you use a lathe for, right? Spins things, and then there's little knives that cut off parts of it at a time, and you shave away everything that's not a pawn, right? Yeah, you shave away. Yeah, that's, you got it, you got it. Okay. Well, that's been really hard to do, like, when you had to do that with, like, a foot pedal. Having, like, the the, the raw spinning power of, of three electric lathes, that must give you a lot of possibilities. Well, and what's interesting, too, about this gang is that they are not averse to, um... To modern technology, right? They 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 uh-huh. want the one. They want the garment that wicks away perspiration. They want the laser. They want the they want the uh, the drone that follows you by remote control. They want the tech, but they also want the classic thing to a certain extent. They want the old lathe that was in the old factory that was getting torn down. They want the old thing that's made out uh-huh. of metal instead of the new one. So it's a nice blend. The first time I met Gregor. He was dressed head to toe in some technologically, uh, some technologically fabric. Huh. Where I was like, wait a minute. <clears throat> well, all these fabrics. You could, you could make little... out the figure of your friend Gregor, but because of the technologically, he, he presented himself as somebody who maybe like just from just slightly in the future. Well, yeah, it was just like beep boop, beep boop. Why uh-huh, are these uh-huh. fabric? Why do all these fabrics have logos on them? Why does uh-huh. everything seem to? It's, none of it seems to be made out of things in nature. They all. This what my wife calls a technical garment. It's a technical garment. Mm-hmm. And he had all these technical garments on. And I, you know, I naturally didn't trust him because it's like, uh-uh. where's your, where's your wool? Where, show me one cotton thing on you right now. And he was like, cotton you know, like a waxy pants. You like a waxy pant. So, so initially I was like, he's a little hmm. too far forward. If you know what I mean? A little too, his nose is just a little too far into the future for me. Yep, but yep, then yep. Re- later on, I realized, oh no, he's making, he's like spot welding BMW boxer motors from the 1960s and trying to turn them into a hovercraft. And I'm like, all right, well, that's different too. I mean, I, you know, so the, so the technology, uh, and the, and the classic go hand in hand. And then the third, so the third number one, uh, you know, like, uh, person on this tour that's been there every year is a guy named Scott rounds, who is a flat track motorcycle racer from Vermont. Who's like, you know, he's a little laconic. He doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't have a ton of, you know, he's not going to like discuss his marriage with you or anything, but he's a very, he's just a super personable guy. The kind of person when you meet him, you're like, oh, I wish that there was, I wish that I had made choices in my own life where I could uh, be like, I could have ever met somebody like Scott. I I get, I get that feeling about three times a month, three times a month. I wish I had known somebody, uh. I, I could have been a better person if I'd known a Gregor or a uh, or a laconic or a kind of cowboy type you're describing. I him. mean, they're all cowboys. Every one okay. of them. You, all right. you know, I'll, I'll sit at the campfire and I'll mm-hmm. say, "So who who in this uh, who in this who this campfire has ever had a bad dream?" And they all just stare at their little tin of coffee and 
It's like no one, <laughs> yeah, no one's ever had a bad dream. Getting the energy and enthusiasm to book a medical appointment. Come on, guys, show <laughs> you know, hands. One, one guy's like, I don't know. I mean, I had a bad day once. Like, is that Carol? You're like, God damn it, no. <laughs> but so, but Scott is, you know, Scott like started at one point. He we pulled a motorcycle out of the truck that was like this tiny little beat up Honda from the. 80s and i'm like wow it's such a beautiful little motorcycle and he's like yeah i got it as a birthday present when i was 10 this is how i learned to ride well like wow my daughter is my daughter is 10 and she can't work a doorknob and he's like yeah you know the, <laughs> the first time i wheeled over a cop car or, or fix a motorcycle yeah just crazy anyway so so the three dudes ben can kind of fix anything and loves to solve problems Gregor is like the, the, you know, the big personality he's running this operation and he's, and he's trying to turn it into a motorcycle tour enterprise. Uh And so he's always, you know, he, he basically creates problems for Ben to fix later. Like Gregor's breaking motorcycles and sending forests on fire. And then Ben is Mm -hmm. kind of methodically coming along behind. Oh, so Ben's sort of like Scotty and, and Gregor's a little bit like Kirk. Because, hmm. I mean, like, if you've got the right team, or maybe it's more like the A team, but, like, an element of a good super team is you do kind of create, I don't want to say necessarily create problems for each other, but you're challenging one another with, with what you could do as a group by problematizing the situation. It's true, except with the one, the one thing that differentiates that is that no one, hmm. it's a very egalitarian group. No one seems to hold any particular rank over anyone else. Like you, you do not give Ben King an order. Hmm. You do not even, you do not even strongly suggest that Ben. You get a pack of fives for that, huh? Every, well, everybody just kind of stands there and then, then the problem is solved. And you're like, wow, where, when did that happen? And Ben said, well, I couldn't sleep. So I got up in the night and I rebuilt your motorcycle. It's like, wow. Okay. How did you do that? (laughs) I was just tossing and turning. (laughs) It's like, well, you know, I, I took some rocks and I, and I, mm-hmm. and I smelted them in my pocket smelter that I brought. We got and Ben, I, we got Gregor and who's, who's the third leader. So Scott and then Scott also, you would never get, it's not like you would give an order to Scott, mm-hmm. right? You, nobody gives orders. Nobody takes orders. Nobody's in charge, but Scott is somebody that can kind of ride any motorcycle, sort of solve any problem that involves kinetic energy. Mm, he's Murdoch. How do, how do we get from. How do we get from here to there? How do we get over this? And then all of a sudden you look over and Scott's on the other side already. And you go, how did you, how did he get over there? Yeah. yeah. It's sort of like, well, he wrote a raccoon. I don't know. There's only one way you could get over there. Fuck you. Fucking motorbike. That would be so cute. You know, don't take a drink. I would love that. Show. You're gonna is it a normal size? Is it a normal size raccoon? Well, you know, oh, so this is, so this factors in somewhat. What, what you have on these motorcycle trips is a large group of people, a diverse group of people, uh, but the diversity kind of, it's, they're, they're all guys. So, <clears throat> so there you got a 50% diversity lack so far they've been, you know, I think the group is, is, is willing to expand its horizons. Anybody is welcome, <clears throat> but so far all these test rides, you know, it's all been all sort of motorcycle boys. And then one of the kind of defining characteristics is that everyone is is normal sized right like how tall are you? you're five foot of uh, five nine and change five nine and change right and so i'm very close to i i feel short but that's that's on me mm-hmm. i think i'm pretty close to what was a normal sized person at least in the 70s I i'm not dutch or something i'm not big like dutch you're not big like dutch no. mm-hmm. you're right re- you're regular and a regular sized guy mostly yeah and most people on the on these motorcycle trips 
are between regular and slightly shy of regular, just, just shy of regular. I think it helps if you're a motorcycle person, like, like being a fighter pilot or any kind of other high performance individual that's going to experience a lot of G forces. Mm. You don't want your limbs to be too far from the center. And you need that center of gravity working. Yeah. You don't want your head so far from your spleen that, mm. you know, that the head gets lost out there in the clouds. You want everything in a compact package. And spleen goes, not me, not me. And so they can ride these motorcycles with a with their, their center of gravity, their sense of balance, the way motorcycles are designed. They're all these, they, they just sort of, there's a symbiosis. Like it came up a lot of times on this trip, the idea when I was learning guitar, that there were these guitars that just seemed unplayable. And you pick it up and you'd be like, I can't, there's nobody could play this guitar. And then a good guitar player comes along, picks it up and, and starts making music on it. Yeah. And you're like, I can't even get my fingers to push the strings down on the frets. Those, like, those kind of people who can just pick up a Chapman stick and start playing a song. Like, I was talking to my kid about this, because so I've got her uh, playing with my fancy camera. Uh, we've been going out and doing little, little nighttime photography trips. And I, I deliberately, long story short, I gave, I, I set this up to be one of the most like straightforward settings, but still very challenging because we're shooting at 1.4, we're shooting at night. She's learning above all else, you have to just stand so still. And then hold a breath. And you're not going to press. You're going to squeeze. You squeeze. And then we got back. And then she was really frustrated with how, how blurry all the photos were. And I was like, no, no, no. You're, you're getting it. Like, these don't cost anything to take. But then I said, and then the next day, she starts shooting stuff in the house. Dead sharp. Sharp as a tack. And she's so thrilled. And I said, this is why you should learn to play guitar on a shitty guitar. So that you get good, hopefully without developing bad habits. But then when you play a real guitar... Jiminy Christmas. Well, and that, but, but there's the other, the other problem, which is if the guitar is too hard to play when you first uh -huh. pick it up, you're never going to get past it. You're never going to want to be a guitar player. Yeah, you're right. Because it's too hard to play. And so there's, there's this, there's this special kind of place in learning anything where the tool has to be good enough that it's exciting and that you want to do it and you feel like you can. Uh -huh. uh, and you, and then at a, at a certain point in your experience of learning and growing, then you can go back. I mean, I can play any guitar now and I can play a lot of guitars that you look at and go, that's a piece of trash. No one should have guitars that are set up to be played with a slide, you know, and you can pick it up. Uh -huh. And if you, if you played guitar for years and years, you just, you know, you find a way to make music on. Well, these guys are like this with motorcycles. Okay. Any motorcycle you put in, um, in their hands and they go, hmm, and immediately they're off climbing trees with them. And it's very, it's very natural to them. It's native. They say, you know, and so they're giving, they've been giving me a lot of coaching over the last three years of being out in the forest with these motorcycles. I'm not a, I, I didn't grow up. Nobody gave me a dirt bike when I was 10. You're not a native cycler. No, no. I mean, they gave me a set of encyclopedias. And I can barely drive that even now. Uh -huh. But, uh -huh. but so they are, they are doing this stuff on motorcycles and, and for a long time, it felt like. That experience you have sometimes when you're talking to somebody and somebody that can do a standing backflip uh -huh. and you're like, wow, you can do a standing backflip. And they go, yeah, it's easy. You just do that. And they explain how to do it. Uh -huh. And yeah. it's like, well, you explaining how to do a standing backflip to me isn't going to help me do a standing backflip. I already would have to be so far, so different and so far close, so much closer to you. It developed a completely different sense of feel. I used to. Uh, back in my productivity days, I used to uh, like the metaphor of what I called the old butcher, 
like the old guy at the butcher shop, and it could be a gal, but it's a guy, um, who can just grab a pile of roast beef and know that it's exactly one and a quarter pounds. And you'd be like, well, how do you know how to do that? Well, I've been a butcher for 40 years. Like, I know what roast beef feels like. Right. Well, Same here. You put this thing between your legs and this one's going papa, papa, papa. You say, oh, this raccoon's not ready to climb a tree yet, but it might be soon. Like you get that, you get that steel horse going. And like, I bet you there's a sense of feel that is very difficult to describe, let alone teach. And, and, but the problem is that from within, within them, within uh, the, the, the body of somebody that knows how to ride motorcycles this well, they're so good and natural at it that they've they've sort of lost the 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 memory of the 10 percent that's furthest away from them which is somebody that is on a motorcycle and can ride it looks like they're riding it but um but isn't yet to the you know isn't yet into a place where going around a curve feels as natural as as it does you know, as, as it does to me, moving a stump in a creek bed, for instance, or me taking a taking a, a pretty tight uh, turn on a Segway. Like I've learned you how to adjust my balance. That's that's the kind of thing you can't teach. It's the kind of thing you can't teach, and we see it a lot in on these trips because we're out on logging roads, way up in the mountains, and you're on these dirt roads that are just huh. just basically just clinging to the sides of cliffs of mountains where the only reason a road got built there was that they that that people wanted the timber that was growing up there and they the only way they could get it out is by carving a road and yet the roads have have symmetry they have constant you know the the radiuses of the turns are are um because you're talking about, is this like the kind of thing I would have seen in the credits to, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be dim or funny, but mm. like in the, in like, uh, I want to say like Northern Exposure or uh, Twin Peaks, is it that kind of like long ass, long, I mean, they're, they're, they're long ass logs on like a long truck, right? Yes, yes. And, and, and I think we've discussed it on, on the show before that the craziest people in the universe are logging truck drivers. Oh, really? And, yeah, and if you ever I it was are, roofers, I would have guessed roofers. No, not roofers. I mean, they're nuts. But uh-huh. roofers are all on crank, whereas loggers didn't I used see. to be at okay. least. But lo- and logging truck drivers, I think, are on crank these days. Uh-huh. But if you're if you're <laughs> on the road, <laughs> if you're on the road at any point in time, and you see a truck that's hauling logs, if you if you, if you see a cab over repeat with a reefer on and a Jimmy all in logs. Oh, you're talking about uh, long, 11 long-haired friends of Jesus in a chartreuse microbus you're talking about? If you about? see any of those people, but particularly a logging truck, just okay. stay away from Is there a the, funny CB name for a logging truck? What do you call that? Um, let's see. Yes. Well, uh, no, you're just hauling your... your Log hauls. Uh, yeah. Your, okay. So let's see. What is the, what's the lyric? And I should, uh, there's got to be a funny name, though, like Bear in the Air is a police yeah. helicopter. Well, there's got to be... Yeah. I've got my CB uh, mug over here that's got all the CB terms written on it, but I don't see anything for logging truck. But no, and, you and stay, I'm trying stay to see if I can d- detect with my eyes that they might be on crank, but they've got, they've got to navigate some crazy ass roads, but those roads keep in mind that a long ass truck is going to be on it, but I'm guessing there's not a huge amount of wiggle room. Well, and these roads, there's nobody on because the, the logs are gone and nobody else would be on them besides adventure motorcycle riders. Cause it's not like this road is the quickest way from here to there. Okay. It's not like this road is easy for a, even a truck to go on. A lot of them have a lot of them fall apart halfway up and it's too late to turn back type of thing. Uh-huh. But oh. what's interesting about the roads is after you've driven so many of them, you realize these roads were not built by the army Corps of, Corps of engineers. 
it's doubtful that these roads were even built by somebody with a protractor at, at certain point oh. on this trip, I was talking to, cause one of the guys on the, on the trip this time is, um, is a mechanic or a civil engineer, like a, like a mechanical engineer that works at a Apple harvesting company. That's so cool. And he handles all their Well, who their could have ever guessed? Stuff. It's one thing to say you want to grow and be a teacher, nurse, or cop. How do you, this must have been such an interesting path. I'm not trying to take you off, but that sounds like a learned person. Absolutely. Well, everybody on this group, the group has got, we've got very interesting backstories, but he at some point said, oh, all of these, because I was, I was remarking on the fact that, because on a motorcycle, what you want to do is you kind of go into a turn, you set a turn, and then you hope that the turn carries you through the corner. You don't want halfway through the corner to have to adjust the nature of your turn. You don't want to have to put on the brakes. You don't want to have to increase your angle, uh, ideally, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Especially if you're on gravel or wet gravel and it's on the edge of a cliff. You want to go into a turn and you really, really hope that you can just pull that turn off. Because if you make that adjustments. so good when you nail it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. But you do it and, and you start to have it an appreciation of these roads. Where did these roads come from? They're just up here in the middle of nowhere. And they go and they're, and somehow they're holding season after season, snow and rain and wind. And the, and, and my motorcycle friends, you know, at one of these stops where, cause they're very, all of them are very laconic. They, they just kind of would, they just look down into their coffee cup and they go, well, bike's riding good. I bet a couple of them say, yep. They do. They say, yep. And so I'm standing there at the, at the junction and I'm like, who were the men that built these roads and what was the air that they breathed? You made the story. <laughs> I'm just like, and so somebody said, well, these roads were built by an old man with a bulldozer or no, I'm sorry. The actual quote, what quote was, these roads were built by an old man with a dozer. Ooh. And I was like, an old man with a dozer. Man with and a they're dozer. like, yeah, the reason these roads are so good is that there are old men with dozers who have built so many roads that they look at the land and they just doze it until it's a road and they don't pull out the, they don't have, they don't have a map. They don't have a, they don't have instruments. They're not, they're not doing it in any way other than this butcher so that picks up the road. So it doesn't start with a plat book, civil engineering, GPS sky view. They go with the dozer and, and make road where road needs being made. If you've got a timber company, uh-huh. I'm guessing what you have first is you send some fellas out there with the big boots and they march around and they look up at the trees and they go, hmm, these seem like good trees. Let's get these trees. And there are, there are people down, down in the office who are securing the rights to those trees by, by manipulating the, the Bureau of Land Management or the U.S. government and doing, doing deals. You know, they're making deals. Uh-huh. But the, the, those guys go out and then what's the next thing? I mean, the next thing is we got to go in and put some roads in here to get the people up there to cut these trees down and take them out. So the, oh my God, you got to build the road before you build the road. The old guy with the dozer is right up there at the very beginning of this process has to. Okay. Yeah. And so all these dozer roads and we're up there riding kind of, you know, around these corners pretty fast. You really don't want the road to give way. You don't want the corners to be crazy and it's a in oregon and in washington and in california these roads just because there's so many you know millions of acres of just undeveloped land in Mm -hmm. the west that's just like well 
I mean, you can't even really graze cows up here or goats. All it is is trees and it's high up. And what you can grow is motorcycle tours. Um, so, th- so, so back to the start, mm-hmm. I'm down in Portland. I'm getting ready for this motorcycle tour. We talked about it last week and I was anxious. Merlin. I was scared. It was raining. It was cold. I hadn't been on a motorcycle in two years. Oh God. I hadn't been sleeping. I was, you know, I had this sleep deficit that was months old. I was, you know, groggy. Every muscle in my body hurts just when I like sitting on the couch and I'm like, I should go to the bathroom. Just being, just being, I have to go to the potty, but it hurts so much to get from here to there. It hurts. It hurts to put my book down, you know, (laughs) Uh maybe you should have, maybe you should have your, uh, your daughter's mother, uh, a fix harness to you when you want to have your reading time. Well, you know, she earlier this summer, she was like, we're going to play tennis. And so we went out and, you know, I grew up playing tennis. I gave oh. myself tennis elbow, like the third weekend. It's still plaguing me now. Oh, gotcha. And so yeah, I'm no, down. But that's totally understandable. I mean, like, even if you, and I'm not casting an aspersion, but I think we do share a certain amount of like self-doubt in life mm-hmm. or worry about how we'll perform in life. If you've got that on top of the, like, if you've got, you've got your legit, according to Hoyle, I feel shitty about myself. And then on top of that, you got the, I don't know, man, it's been a while since I tried to do a wet turn. That's gotta be, uh, an anxiety producer. Well, that, and also like last, um, the last time we got back from the motorcycle trip, I very definitely had a feeling like, okay, I survived that. Yeah. That was the second one. We got caught in a snowstorm. I went a whole week without really crashing but there were lots of scary times i've done Mm -hmm. it now a couple of times i shouldn't do it again i'm 50 years old i shouldn't be trying to learn adventure motorcycling there are other things like other things i should be focusing on and i said that to myself when i got done with the last trip and that seemed to be and that carried over to starting this next one like what am i doing Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that heard our episode last week sent me messages like, if I were you, I'm not the boss of you, but if I were you, I wouldn't do it. Hmm. And too, 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 too risky to, um, you know, risk reward. Right. And also, the, I mean, let's, let's say the thing. I bet you one of the things is I bet, I, I mean, I'm just going to guess. So I'm going to put myself, if it were me on this trip, I would be thinking to myself, let's see, what are our main characters? Our dramatis personae. We got, we got Scott, Ben and Gregor plus whomever else you got mm-hmm. these, uh, you know, these pipe thump, thumping pros from Dover. They're not going to be the one who falls off, gets near deadly road rash, and then has to be medevaced out. It's not going to be one of them. If you get that turn wrong because your wet turn, that's, it sucks and you're going to be hurt, but also you're going to fuck up the trip for everybody. Right. Well, but here's the wonderful thing It'll about adventure. Slow down, right? The advent, the wonderful thing about adventure motorcycling is that any one of those ding dongs could have been the one that got hurt and got medevaced out at any okay, good, time good, 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 good. because everybody's riding at the level of their, you know, right at the edge of the level of their incompetence. And the fact it's like that working at a dot com. Yeah, it's right. It's it like being the in the U S government. Everybody here is operating, <laughs> operating. Everybody here is charged with doing something two and a half levels above anything they've ever succeeded at before. But that and, makes and, sense. You're going to push yourself a little bit. 
and you're, you're going to try, try some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't be timid because then you fall off the motorcycle, right? Exactly. Right. There's, you have to be mm-hmm. brave enough to, you can't, you can't choke in the middle of any of this mm-hmm. because choking is just as bad as crashing. And, and Scott and Gregor are going around these logging road turns in full slides, kicking up big rooster tails Ugh. of mud and, you know, and spit and in things where they can't see around the corner. Like what the hell, there could be a Sasquatch. There could be, there could 100%. be a chicken in the road. Yep, I mean, yep. there aren't, you know, there aren't. Mm-hmm. Everybody makes well, it, right? At that, least in but this you, your mind's going to wonder. He's got to get to the <laughs> other side. And this but, has been but, well dozered, but like, I don't want to die, die killing a chicken. The thing is the other side here, there's nothing for a chicken there. There's nothing for a chicken anywhere up above 4,000 oh, So feet. you reject the premise of the joke. Uh, the, the riddle. Yeah, the, sorry, the riddle. I, uh, sorry, I have to start all over. We'll take the chicken joke out. <laughs> okay, listen. But, there's but a river, so, you got a boat. You got a chicken, you got a bag of grain, and you got a guy named Gregor. And you got to get him across. And a rabbi, and uh-huh. a minister. And when there's one parachute. And then you got this guy over here. He says, we got this. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So the night before I'm sitting in Portland, I'm, I'm sitting at Ben King's, uh, architecture okay. offices there at STEM, STEM architecture. And I'm saying to myself, as I try and sleep on this bear cot, that's got a Pendleton blanket on it that apparently had a sheet under it, but I didn't notice there was a sheet. So I just slept, you know, on top of this Pendleton blanket, trying to sleep and failing. I said, it's pouring down rain. I'm 53 years old. Everybody uh, that listens to the podcast that is over on my Patreon site is writing me, telling me not to do it. Uh What am I doing? And I had that moment where I was like, maybe I should. I've only ever had one premonition where I woke up in the morning and said, today's the day that I die. And it was in, it was on my walk across Europe. It was in the Carpathian mountains. And I woke up. And I was just like, I, today I die. I die today. Just a, that, a feeling, a feeling of like a kind of, not just idle wondering, but a feeling of near certainty about. Absolute certainty. Like I'm going wow. into these untracked mountains. I have no idea how I'm going to get up the other side. And somewhere along the way, I'm going to fall to my death. And I spent the whole day with a kind of just sort of matter of fact contemplation of the fact that I'd woken up that day convinced I was going to die. And I was, of course, going to try not to die, but also there was an inevitability about it that turning around wasn't going to affect. And in the course of that day, it was not necessarily a day that I couldn't have died multiple times. It was a crazy, crazy, crazy day. And each time that it looked like I was going to die, I didn't like I may, I will, I put my foot out into the into the abyss and there was a rock there and the foot held and the rock held. And by the end of the day, I was like, I was supposed to die today and didn't. (laughs) Wow. What a day. That's in contrast to a few of these days where at the beginning of the day, I said, I should call today off. And not a, not a usual one. Like I'm going to stay, stay in bed, but like a, this is a big day. It's all happening today. It all hinges on today. And I should get out of this. I got to get out of this. You know, the first anxiety attack I ever remember having was I was sitting in row 2040 on a Lufthansa 747 that was flying from Seattle to Frankfurt. And it was completely full. And this was back in the day where I was like, Wow, I could say save twenty dollars if I was on a middle seat 
by the toilets? I want to save $20. Yeah, I want to recline. And I was sitting next to this girl that was coming down off of some drug and was like fritzing and like spazzing and sweating. And I'm way in the back of the plane and we're on the taxiway and I start to freak. And I, at that point I'd never freaked on a plane before. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm freaking now. Like this isn't, I got to get off. Apparently airplanes are pretty common for that. There's a really good book I read about anxiety last year. And he talks in particular about one of his patients. I don't want to trigger anybody here, but who was on a flight and she went from that, you know what I mean? There's that, that junction. If you're having the wrong day, Mm -hmm. there's that, you make that leap from, huh, to, oh, I'm going to have a heart attack and die. And it's going to be really embarrassing and people will try to help me, but they won't be able to help me. And looking down this fart tube full of long pigs, all I can think about is that this, this will, as Don McLean said, be the day that I die. Yeah. And like a, a certainty that you feel on the most physical level, it, it's, I think that's pretty normal. And you're in a middle seat, John, gross. Well, and the thing about airplanes and the thing about this event, it was, it was one of those that kind of, <clears throat> without, with, without going too deep into this, it kind of taught me about the relativity of mental illness hmm. in the sense that an hmm. air, an airplane is an extremely stressful environment for everyone. Yeah. And we pretend it isn't because we need it. We need to get from here to there in this airplane. And so there are people, myself included, who will sit in my own comfortable house. And the fact that there is a, that there's somebody using a leaf blower five uh, blocks over, there are times in my life where I'll sit on my couch and go, this is intolerable. I can't live another minute. But I will get on an airplane, which sounds like someone is pointing a shop vac at my face for seven hours and I'll endure it because I need it. And I'm claustrophobic and I don't want to be around people. I don't want to be stuck in a place. I can you don't, be, you don't see people putting their feet up on the bulkhead. I can be made claustrophobic by just somebody walking across the sidewalk in front of me, but I will get in a tube and be pushed up against people I I would not choose. I've never met. You cannot choose who you sit next to on a plane. It's a uh-huh. perfectly democratic environment for the most part. Um, and so each one of these things, and I know there are people that, I mean, I, I sat next to Jesse Sykes one time on an airplane where she literally cried oh, for no. five hours because she couldn't be on the plane, but oh, she, poor kid. but she was on the plane and did it right. She survived it because she needed to. Okay, and the, the courage they say is having the fear and doing it anyway. Right. And so the, the, the airplane is the thing that, that relativizes these phobias and these anxieties we have, Uh because under any other circumstances, even one of the conditions of being on an airplane could be found utterly intolerable. But most of us find a way to suffer six to 10 hours to fly, you know, anywhere interesting. Um, in an environment where there are, where there are six to 10 of these factors cranked and somehow we master them. And I sat in the back of that Lufthansa and I was like, <clears throat> the problem with this is if I pull the, 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 the bell, if I, if I, if I go up and pull the bell, this is my stop. The, the, the orange button with the lady in a dress on it. <laughs> yeah. There are. Oh, you're there, saying, you're saying like, you say, oh, nope, call it off. I'm ding, out of here. Like, I'm out. Yeah. Uh There are 600 people on this 747 that are ready to take off. 
and who, whatever, uh, whatever flight attendant comes running back to deal with me is not going to be impressed that I want off this plane. They're going to say, what's the matter? And I'm going to say, I just have to get off. And they're going to go, look, I've seen this before. Yeah. And they're going to give me a lollipop, but they, but in order for me to actually get off this plane, it would require me creating an incident that made, that meant that I went to jail. And, uh -huh. and if I, and went to jail and was in the newspaper. And so I've got to get my shit together in a way that, that other anxiety attacks I've had where there were not those conditions. I wasn't, I didn't, there was not a thing that said, you need to get your shit together because the chain of events that you're going to, you know, like the chain of events, if you're sitting in your house in the middle of the night, having an anxiety attack are just that it gets worse and worse. But on an airplane, you better get your shit together because there's no path to you other than there's no path other than get your shit together. And that is what, huh. you know, that's what makes those environments so fucking, so fucking, woo! Yeah, right. But so I'm sitting in Ben King's apartment and I'm like, I'm ready to, to stop. I'm ready to call this off. And it's not quite like being in the back of a Lufthansa, but the chain of events that that would, you know, it's just like, well, now everything changes, right? The, the motorcycle trip we're they're all out front going, run, run, run. and I'm going, should a 53 year old be on a motorcycle trip? You know, it's like uh -huh. not the time for this. And Ben is a laconic cowboy and he's, he, he's no stranger to anxiety, but he says, well, you know, once you're on the motorcycle, then it'll feel differently. And if you still don't want to do it, then you can stop. And once we're 50 miles up the road, if you don't want to do it, you can turn around. There are way worse ways he could have handled that. Yeah. And that's just, that's really, that's super reasonable. Cause if, it, if you come back at that with no, seriously, I'm, it's all I can do not to just vomit, cry and be in a ball right now, but you, but he's giving you the opportunity to say, Hey, look, you know, well, let's wait, see if you can just, I don't know. I hate to, hate to use phrases like tough it out, but like once you, once you get on the road, you get those, those jitters might go away and you can always change your mind later. Yeah. And he, and then he does the thing uh, that he's so good at, which is he comes over and he says, well, there's two, there's two pairs of gloves. You can use these or these. And the, and now you've got a problem to solve. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just your kid, you don't ask your kid where they want to go to bed. You ask your kid, which jammies they want, which jammies do you want? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what he says to me, which jammies do you want? And I go, I don't know, maybe these. And I, you know, and he's got, he's got me in motion. I get on the motorcycle. I'm terrified. Oh, and we John. get, we get on the, on the wet roads of Portland and every, you know, you know, I love Portland. It's a wonderful town, but everybody in that town is a fucking idiot. Mm. And that's one of the things that makes it such a great town. Cause if you mm -hmm. put 300,000 idiots in a town, you know, it can't help but be interesting and fun. Interesting things will happen just as the yeah. law of large numbers or large yeah. numbers of idiots in any case. Yeah. They're really bad drivers. They're really yeah. bad. I mean, they're, I guess they make good beer and the food. Are they is pretty, pretty emotional? Are people pretty emotional there? Oh, now they are. They didn't used to be. They used but, to be more laconic, right? It was just all strip uh, clubs, strip clubs, and keeping opinions to yourself, right? The thing it was a it was a lot of lumberjacks that paid for a house for their mother to live. You know, it was oh, well. it was a town. And there were and there were punk rockers and they were hippies and they got along pretty well. And now, who knows what's there? It's everybody's. You know, it's like the same fifty dollars people are you know making dream catchers <laughs> and fucking homemade sausage. But they can't drive, and I'm in the road, and I'm just bill like, just keeps getting faster. <laughs> I'm just like this, you know, and it's a tw and the twenty dollar bill smells so so much like patchouli now. You can't get it off. Oh your no, that's a that's a shame. 
Huh. But we get off and we're we get off onto the road and everybody's a good motorcyclist and I'm just there like I hope I don't die. And we go over Mount Hood and the snow starts again. I'm like it's snowing, of course it's snowing. And then I remember I forgot my medication and oh, I have shit. To, I have to stop at a pharmacy in Madras and get some millennial pharmacist who thinks that the that the uh, she makes a phone call one time and nobody answers and her job is done for the day. And I'm like, you know, when nobody answers, it's because the people at the other end are doing something. And you call them back. You call them until they answer. And she's like, I, you know, nobody ever, I never got a bad grade in school. So nobody ever told me that I have to try twice. And then I stood there in front of her and called. My mom still does that. If my mom has to deal with any bureaucracy, she acts like it's 1971. She calls <laughs> and leaves a very long, polite message. And then nothing she just waits for weeks and weeks and weeks. She's sweet. Cause there's a 35 year old on the other end that, you know, that, that listens to one third of the message and goes too they, long. They, didn't read. they had too much work to do before you ever made a phone call. <laughs> and so I sit there right in front of this gal and I call until the person at the other end answers. And I'm like, Hey, a doctor I'm in this case, like getting approval for uh, an emergency prescription. Oh, well, you know, I've got, I could make it, I could text on my phone right now and it would probably, if I had the right text information, it could change the direction of a satellite orbiting the earth from mm -hmm. my phone. Yeah. But a pharmacist has oh to fax a, a, a prescription from one pharmacy to the next. And that can take between an hour and 15 days. Uh -huh. And it has to happen via fax because as you know, faxes are much more official than mm, absolutely. And so it's considered get, a legal instrument. Uh -huh. It's a legal instrument. So I get a different pharmacist on the phone and they say, we're very busy here. And I say, uh. you know, look, I know <laughs> COVID and times are tough all over. It's really hard to get microchips now. And that yeah. is, that's stirring up the supply chain. But what I'm doing is I'm at a pharmacy in Madras and this pharmacist doesn't have enough to do. She's surfing the internet. All she needs is you to fax my prescription and the pharmacist on the other end is like, well, I got a bunch of old ladies here trying to get their Metamucil prescription updated. And I'm like, look, I know it's times are tough all over. You know, like Donald Trump was president for four years. We survived it. Just take three minutes. And they're like, I'll see what I can do. I'll try and get it done by the end of the day. Click. Huh. And my motorcycle buddies are out in the parking lot and they're like, well, we got to get to the campsite. Run, run, run. And I'm like, you guys go on ahead. I'll catch you. I'm not even sure I should probably just turn back and go home. This is, this is God saying today's the day that you die. Even if you don't feel it. Uh -huh. I finally, at one point I called my mom and I said, can you walk down to the pharmacy, get in line behind all the other old ladies. And when it's your turn up to the window, can you say, I would like to use my turn to get you to go over to the fax machine and fax my son in Madras, Oregon. His your mother serves as she offers herself as tribute. And she was like, hmm, I think I'm, I could do that. You know, it's only mm -hmm. five minutes to the pharmacy. Eventually, the pharmacist in Oregon faxed the thing to the pharmacist in Madras. Nobody, there's no blood on the floor. Everybody got what they needed. I was a little late getting to the campground. And by the time I got to the campground, I was in the rhythm. The motorcycle felt natural again. Hmm. I was riding it on dirt roads. It was, I was riding it on dirt roads in the night. Um, these are things that in past motorcycle trips had been terrifying and now they were only mildly terrifying. And over the course of the next eight days, we got more and more into these radical environments. We're sleeping out. 
lighting fires. We're in little forest cabins. We're staying in those hotels that uh, are on the side of the road. They're like hotel built in 1860, uh, plumbing last, uh, maintained in 1874. You know, the rooms, it's like that hotel that you stayed in in Portland where it's like, not only is there no TV, you couldn't get a TV into this space. <laughs> the door is too small. Well, we feel like the doors really are a, a terrible downside of late capitalism. We went down to the Alvord Talking Desert. About this is the same day. It's day one, but like you've been like, what, well, this is after sunset? Like you, you're, you're going somewhere for the night. Oh, it was one thing after another. That first day, three of the motorcycles broke, but somehow Ben King managed to fix one of them. Then he fixed another one. And then the yeah. third one, it turned out that it was a problem that was only obvious to Ben King. One of those things where he, the motorcycle was 50 miles away and Ben just sort of diagnosed it and all of it. You know, these guys never take credit for how smart they are, right? They just say, he's like, hmm, well, maybe it was the, maybe it was the pet cock. Did it occur to you it was the pet cock? And the other guy goes, that never would have occurred to me. Huh. And he's like, the thing is the bike's got two pet cocks. So you thought, you thought the one pet cock was open and it was, but it it was the other pet cock that was closed. Hmm. And he just, he thinks it up. Right. And so the other guys are like, hmm, oh yeah, that makes sense. And all of a sudden, all of the things, all the crazy things the motorcycle was doing that were like, well, that means that, you know, that the rings are bad or that it's thrown up, uh, uh, turbo encapsulator. Can you throw a rod? Is that something? I suppose you could. No. But all of a sudden it's not the turbo encapsulator. It's just that there was a petcock under the seat that was off. And, and, And so, and nobody, you know, there's, there's like a little bit of a high five, like, oh yeah, nice job. It's all understood that it's just in the service of the You're larger me, These guys picture. are getting blue ribbons and they're like not even making a big deal about it. No, there's just one blue ribbon that keeps getting passed around. It's With like the, the $20. Bill yes. Except yes. it's just okay. like, well, you solve that problem and I'll solve the next problem. Well, and so far, your version of that is I was able to, my mom got me my prescription and I didn't fall down, go boom. Well, yeah. And, and I'm just like, you know, and I, I'm there with the, my Napoleon hat on and my big epaulets. And it's like, you know, what am I contributing? Every, you guys didn't you know, really look at your hand. Every 20 minutes, I say something kind of mildly humorous and everybody uh-huh. chuckles, uh-huh. you know, um, and, and, and that's my, that's my job in this, in this seven man crew. Uh, but, but over the course of the week. I got better and better at motorcycling and I realized an important thing, which was that all these motorcycles are set up and this seems small, but they're all set up for someone who is five foot seven and a half and weighs 170 pounds. Hmm. And I am six foot three and weigh 245 pounds. (laughs) And because everyone else on the trip is five foot seven and a half and weighs 170 pounds. It just seems to them. It's like, it's, it's like every guitar is built for Angus Young. And then every once in a while you get a Zach Wild and Zach Wild and Angus Young are playing the same guitars, Mm -hmm. but it is a very, you know, Jimi Hendrix has very big hands and a Stratocaster in Jimi Hendrix's hands is a different instrument than a Stratocaster in mine or in a small handed man. Um, and these motorcycles are just, they're all wonderful motorcycles. They're just not set up for me. And none of the other dudes would really notice it because they're all set up for them. You know, they get on it and like, let me test it out. No, it seems to work fine. And then I get on it 
And it's like you put a praying mantis on a little bicycle designed for an ant circus. And the praying mantis is like, it doesn't work. And then an ant gets on it and is like, <laughs> works fine. And so for the last three years, I've been on these logging roads and everybody's kind of zipping around them. And on one side, you fall to eternity. You fall down into the John Day River and it takes you out to the Columbia. And then they find you in the Pacific somewhere floating around with a bunch of Nike tennis shoes. <laughs> or you stay on the road somehow. And I've managed to stay on the road on these motorcycles where I'm not on them properly. I'm, my center of gravity is almost impossible to find because I'm, because the handlebars are here and they need to be here. The foot pegs are there and they need to be over here. And it's a, and it's a problem. Like I'm coasting here. Everybody else is on their own motorcycle and, and Ben King is letting me ride the motorcycle of his father set up for his father, who is a leprechaun. Like Ben King's father literally has a pot of gold and lives at the end of a rainbow. Huh. And so I'm so glad to, I'm you know, it's one of these, like, I'm so grateful to be invited and to be given this motorcycle to ride, right. but it's kind of invisible to them or and to Ben that this is a thing that like the, the small things that we can do, the little shims that we can put in to make things bigger aren't enough. I need a custom motorcycle. I'm like Shaquille O'Neal. I gotta have, I gotta have, uh, that guy that was married to America's sweetheart with that had tattoos on his knuckles. I need him to make me a, a, a like a, a motorcycle that's 10% bigger. Hmm. But I got to the end of this trip and I had done, I went across some line where I've done enough adventure motorcycling that instead of coming to the end of this trip and saying, I, the, I've done it now. I'm dumb to have even done this. I need out. I've, I, I can, I can mark this off as a thing I did and I should go back to aging gracefully huh. and, and knitting and going to PTA meetings. Now I'm like, <clears throat> what I want now is actually a motorcycle that fits me. And I want to do this again and do oh, it. Oh, wow. Wow. I want to do it. I want to do it now. I want to get on these things and have them fit me properly and do the things that I know I can do because I get on the motorcycle and it's like, oh shit, I can do this. I actually know how to do this. And the thing that makes it scary is that the tool doesn't belong to me. It's not my tool. I need my own tool now. Uh -huh. And I do feel the confidence that I'm not going to do any, anything like this. You get on a motorcycle and you're just you're just one drunk truck driver away from eternity. Yeah. Like even if you're, if you're the best, you're the best, right. You still, things are going to happen. There's going to be stuff you cannot anticipate. Even the best is sometimes there's going to be a, a, a old man with a dozer that made a shitty road one day and you're going to go straight uh, off. I, didn't, I wasn't going to say it. Right. Cause how, how many old mm -hmm. men with the, I mean, they're not all geniuses. There's got to be an no. old man with a dozer that all the guys on the timber company are like, God, he should have retired. Yeah, absolutely. That guy should not be behind the wheel. But you know, there's a chip shortage right now and we got to use chip shortage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. So, 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 but I came back from the trip and it felt like something clicked at a certain point. I was struggling, you know, the bike threw me off at one point and it bruised me kind Oof. of hard, but you know, that happened. And I'm limping around and I'm like, I gotta, you know, what I should do is learn to play basketball. And somebody says, 
you need to do yoga. Like stop pretending you don't need to do yoga. It's the only thing. It's a guy your age. You don't need to. I I lost a lot of thread there. Specifically with regard to motorcycle things or just in general? In general. Okay. You don't need weight training. You would benefit from your motorcycle boy stuff would get better because of the balance and stuff. But also this might improve your, what, your flexibility kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, one of the things that had me scared was that, you know, that, that putting my book down and going to the potty, which now that I'm 53 years old, I need to do six to 16 times a day. Yep. Every time I put the book down, I was like, Oh, I got to get the book over all the way to the coffee table. You know, one of the, one of the guys was like, Oh, you know, here's how you lace up your logging boots, logging boot style, which is this thing where you have these tall logging boots and you can, you can lace it up two at a time, logger, logger style. And they were like, you know, here's logger style. How do you, how do you not know this already? And I started, I bent over to do logging style. And I was like, the problem is you got to bend over. And hold, you got to hold a bend. And so it's another one of these, here's how you do a backflip. Oh, uh, well, uh, there you go. Uh-huh. You know, where they're on a hundred CC motorcycle and they're climbing a tree and they put me on a Honda Goldwing from 1978 and said, follow me. Uh-huh. And so realizing like, I can't even get my boot, boots, boots laced without singing a song of mourn, like a, like a mournful whale. <laughs> and 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 they're like, you need to go get to <laughs> do yoga. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like coyotes on the carcass <laughs> of a dead horse. And and I realized, oh, I, I need to do yoga. And I and and I got back from the motorcycle trip. You know, on the on another channel, a friend of ours is helping me make sense of the notes of my book. I I interviewed my mom for the first episode of a podcast I'm going to do where my mom talks about being a woman computer programmer in the sixties. Oh, I love that. I've got all this stuff going on and there was just a clear headedness. Cause that's the other thing about motorcycles. You can't, you can't get distracted by thinking about what you should have said to that guy that came into the newsstand in 1994. Oh, I, I totally believe that total ah, this phrase gets overused, but I do like it. Situational awareness. Like you can't, you can't sleep on that. Yeah. You got to focus. I mean, just, just taking in all the Trump flags in Eastern Oregon takes up 40% of your brain. Yeah. Just taking in all the billboards that say the election. We don't have any of that here. We went up to wine country uh, last weekend and, uh, for my wife's birthday and oh my God. (laughs) And I realize I live in such a goddamn bubble, but like, I'm like fully craning my neck around as we drive by. I'm like, really? It's an actual flag? Yeah, you have a flag of Donald Trump. Yeah. There was a great flag that was ha- that was flying out in front of a house in one of these little Oregon towns where everybody is, you know, everybody in the town is like, well, we might secede from the union if you give us half a reason. It's like your hundred person town in fucking Steens Mountain, Oregon is going to secede yeah. from the union. <laughs> I will personally come oh, with an air. I'll, I'll rent a, a Cessna 150 and I'll drop a bring truck castle. out, help them move. Fuck yeah. But there's a big flag flying that was like Trump lost lol. <laughs> and, and it was what? Just like Trump lost lol. You know, I don't love that, that that lol, but I'm gonna allow that. That's pretty yeah. funny. The lol was really what that was Lamau. we all stopped and took a picture. All sure. these great photographers were like, let me check the F stop on this because I don't want to miss it. But I do, you're hearing in my voice a certain kind of momentary feeling of and hopefully it's not momentary. A feeling of energy where I don't believe that adventure motorcycling is my 
uh, is my calling, uh-huh. but I had a victory in a, in a place where it was very easy for me to look at these, these trips and do the thing I usually do, which is anybody else would call this a victory. It was an amazing eight day trip into the wilderness on a, on a giant off-road bike. And I survived it. And I had these great experiences around the campfire with all these guys and, you know, and like this wonderful cultural experience, but I could still pull defeat from the jaws of victory by saying, man, I was never comfortable on the bike. I, you know, I was always sketchy and anxious and, but, but something happened on this trip where it really did feel like a, like a victory and it's positioned me. I feel like come back and, and just look at everything with a, just not, not a different perspective. Like I almost died and now I, and life is precious. Right, and right, right. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> nice pull. <laughs> but what, you know, like specifically, though, locate that for me if you can without crushing the bunny. What was the, what was the, um, I mean, is it just a general sense of well being that you pulled it off? Um, you, is there a specific thing you could attach, a specific feeling or a specific moment where you, where you look back and go, yeah, that, that went okay? There was a nadir. I was on when you're waiting for your mommy to get you your drugs. I was waiting for mommy to get me my drugs uh-huh. and the, and the, and the millennial pharmacist wouldn't look up from her game of solitaire. No, it was deep into the trip. We were deep into a Canyon. We were going down this rocky, sketchy road that was again, like carved out of the side of a cliff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I could not find my center of balance on the motorcycle. And what that meant was every time the front, tire went into a hole, the bike pitched me forward and my hand on the throttle turned the throttle off as a, you know, on a motorcycle, you push the throttle forward Mm -hmm. to go off and you pull it back to go on. So the, the bike would hit a bump, a hole, I would get pitched forward and I would turn the power off, which meant that the bike pitched nose forward even more. And then it bounces back because it has an off-road suspension. It throws me back and then my hand pulls the throttle on Mm. and the bike lurches forward. And then I do not want the throttle on because I'm on a freaking sketchy cliff. And so I turn the throttle off, pitching me forward again, repeating the process. So the motorcycle is Mm. bucking and I'm trying so hard to you know, to keep my balance back, to keep that, that, that steady symbiotic place. And I'm just not able to get it. And I'm on this cliff and it feels like all that's going to have to happen is, is that, that I rev that motor one time to it pointed in the wrong direction. Cause the motorcycle does all kinds of things. You put the gas on the motorcycle stands up and sits upright. Well, if you're going around a corner corner, you don't want that. You want to be leaned over. All of a sudden I'm going to give it power. The bike's going to stand up. I'm going to go straight off a cliff uh-huh. and I'm upset. I'm furious at it. Cause I know at this point it's because the motorcycle and I don't fit together. Uh-huh. And the other guys are like, come on, let's charge up this hill. You know, cause they're all a great at motorcycling and B the motorcycles fit them. And so and, they're and to use your words. That's their tool. That's their tool. So they can do amazing things, incredible things. 
and I feel like the gimp. I feel like the one that, mm -hmm. as you said, I'm slowing them down. I'm holding them back, but also I'm having a bad time yeah. and I'm and a scared time. And I get to the bottom of this hill and I'm exhausted and I'm angry, but there's no one to be angry at. I'm on a fucking free motorcycle trip and everything's being taken care of. And if, you know, and, and when I cry, Ben King somehow wipes my tears away and I didn't even know he was there. Uh -huh. He wipes my tears away with a, with a, with a rag he invented that somehow crawls over and wipes my tears away and, and, and doesn't ask for credit. My goodness. I'm like, who am I supposed to be mad at? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just mad. I'm frustrated and mad. And at one point, the, the engineer, uh, from the apple orchard says, Hey, why don't you ride Scott's bike? Cause Scott's riding a dirt bike. It's not an adventure bike. It's just a straight up dirt bike. And I said, I'm not good at this. I don't, if I ride a dirt bike, I'm going to fly off the edge. And he goes, just try it. It's a smaller bike. It's a, it's easier to ride. And Scott's like, absolutely ride my bike. Hmm. And I get on this little dirt bike, which is like something you'd give a 10 year old. It's not, it's like something that you would give a 25 year old who had ridden a motorcycle since they were 10. And I'm like, and I'm like, this is, I'm good. This is insane. I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. And they're like, just try it. Because it's not as uh, large and heavy duty. It's not as large and heavy duty. It's, uh -huh. it's kind of, it's, um, it's, an, it's anxiously built. It's built to, to go fast in the dirt. It's built to, it's built for people that are, that are agile. It's an agile motorcycle, but it's, it's kind of, it, it's hyperventilating. You know, the, the, it, the hmm. big bikes are like, and you go over these big obstacles and this little bike is like, it's much more of a, of a dragonfly. Well, I get on the bike and off we go. And everybody's like around these obstacles. And I'm kind of in the middle of the pack. But the, the guys were right. I'm a lot bigger on this bike and it feels like my Vespa. It feels like the Vespa that I rode for decades. Oh, interesting. It's small and I know how to control it because mm -hmm. I, I, I rode my Vespa in all conditions. And so all of a sudden I'm on this little guy and I'm like, out of my way, you guys. And I go around them and just tear off. And, and on this thing, I can do no wrong. It's not sized for me. It's, 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 it's too small, like everything else, but the ratio of my size to the power of the machine. Yeah, totally. I told you, you, I, I've been, I mean, I wasn't gonna bring this up cause it's incredibly not appropriate to what you're talking about, but like, I've been testing out having a different electric kick scooter and it's. On the one hand, it's incredibly more powerful than what I'm used to, but it's also very sensitive and like this can, it's pretty, you could pretty quickly get to 16 miles an hour, like really fast with it, but it, it's really uncomfortable and like you just, you know, like I say, bone rattling, you know, to ride on and it's not fun. And I, I, I know that sounds like it's not at all relevant, but I get it. I get it. I, I'm going to, I'm not going to keep uh, basically leasing this thing. Cause it's not fun. I want my little mini bike. Yeah. I want to like, feel like I've got this thing under me and I understand how it works. And I don't want to have to like 
think all the time about whether, you know, I can't even, it's because it's got handles, right? So like, yeah. how am I going to do like a turn signal? And it's like, it's all just been so stressful and not fun. And when I get up to 16 miles per hour with, the, you know, all the engines turned all the way on, I'm like, ah, 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 ah. And it's like on my little, my little cruddy one that goes way less than that speed. I can get my metaphorical hands around it. And it's a ton more fun to actually move around on. I think that that, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, think about like a pool cue, right? You think of a pool cue, you can think of a fucking lawnmower. There's all kinds of things where just, just getting the big one is not always going to be good. You need the one that's going to work for you. Think about bowling balls of all things. Like you need the one that works for your body. Exactly in every one of those cases, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they all, they assume that I'm a big guy and so I should have the big motorcycle. And, you know, when you go horseback riding and the lady at the horseback riding place says, you weigh 245 pounds? Well, there's not a horse here for you except for <laughs> old paint. And old paint is <laughs> a dirty like. <laughs> he used to pull the beer wagon. And uh -huh. now he's out to pasture, but he might be able to hold you. In that case, yeah, you need the big one. And old paint's going to go slow and he's going to be ornery. Uh, and, but in a, in the case of a motorcycle, well, I got on this 500 and I kicked up a rooster tail like you wouldn't believe. And I was gone. I was gone. I went over this mountain and down the other side. And I was going around corners with the back tires, kicking out, spitting up dirt and I knew exactly what I was doing. And I just gave him more power. I went through those six gears. I went up and down. I passed every old man with a dozer in the county. <laughs> and I got to the end of the, of the road, turned off the bike, took off my helmet and my jacket, went across the road and sat down on a, on a rock and thought, what the fuck? You mm -hmm. know, my head was, was burning like the sun. And then amazingly... Over in the fields, I see the head of a white dog poking oh over the, over the, uh, it had just been harvest time. And so there were, it was a bunch of like harvested wheat. Here's this white dog. And then he disappears. And then he shows up 20 feet closer to me. And I'm like, huh, come here, boy. It's like a white, um, what would like it a be? Husky or a Samoyed or something like that? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a cross between a between a golden retriever and a husky or something like that. You know, it's a friendly mm -hmm. dog. White that dog. sounds like a good boy. Friendly face, very good boy. And then he disappears again, and then he shows up over to the left here, and he's he's uh, he's a little closer to me, and he's watching me, and then he disappears, and he shows up over to the right, and so I start to call to him. You know, hey buddy, come here, and he he steps forward. He's still, he's still across the street from me or across the, the, the trail. I'm like, come on over here. And he kind of comes down he's got a friendly face, but he's very timid. And I see he's got a collar on, but it's tattered. It's like ragged and the dog is ragged. And so I call him and he kind of, then he walks back and then he comes forward and then he comes forward a little more and I'm sitting there and I'm feeling like I understand everything now. I understand motorcycles. I understand what I'm doing out here. I understand that it matters what size your bike is. Uh -huh. I want to live like this. I want to be on a motorcycle where I'm the competent one and I'm the good one and not the one that's bringing up the rear, you know, bucking this giant bike, but like a guy on a stupid little motorcycle that's making a bunch of noise uh -huh. and the white dog agrees. Uh -huh. God, that must and have been a great moment. 
he comes, he comes halfway across the street and I get my, get down, I got my hand out and he gets his muzzle just, you know, he's smelling me and he's about, he's about, his nose about two feet from my hand. And then in the distance here, and it's the, it's Gregor who's finally caught up to me. Gregor, the greatest motorcyclist alive, or, you know, Scott is, you know, the greatest motorcyclist alive and Gregor you're, is you're also. You're just uh, chilling with a dog. I've been here for 20 minutes. I've been, I, I, I made myself an ice cream sundae and I'm, <laughs> and this dog and I are about to touch. And, I, and then you hear Gregor. And the noise of Gregor's motorcycle still weighs off. The dog goes, fuck this. Uh-huh. And turns and goes back into the bushes. And Gregor rolls up and turns off his bike and he goes, what happened to you? I was hauling ass trying to catch you and you were just gone. And I was like, well, you know, this motorcycle is a real different thing, but look at the white dog. And the white dog pops its head up. And so Gregor and I get down and we're like, come here, puppy, come here. And the dog comes out and the dog's about to touch, you know, comes all the way across the street. Now he's into it. And then, and it's Scott coming around the corner on his motorcycle. And eventually the whole gang gets there and the dog is freaked out by the noise and runs that's, off. That's a lot to ask of a dog just moseying around. And he watches us from the bushes and I can't get him to come back out. And I'm like, well, whatever that was, whatever touching the white dog was, I didn't do. I didn't get the, I didn't get the blessing of the white dog, but boy, I got close. Damn. But I thought I had a good title and now I got to change it. What's the a white dog? Fuck. <laughs> Damn. I was going to go with MacBook Weekly, but now it seems a little self-involved. <laughs> Fuck you, man. Let me spit coffee and give me a white dog. 